you're listening to episode four of Speaking with Deacon, Praying with Confidence. Speaking with Deacon is a production of the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with Voice of Charity Australia and EWTN Asia Pacific. Join us as we discuss strategies that will empower us to announce the gospel of the Lord daily through our words and deeds. This is Speaking with Deacon. Hello and thanks for joining us again here on Speaking with Deacon. I am Mark Griffin, your host, and once again, as always, joining me is Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Deacon Harold, how are you today? I'm doing well. Great to be with you again, Mark, and to all of our viewers and listeners. Great to have you back. I'm really enjoying getting into this series. We've done this. is This will be our fourth episode now, and, and we've got many more to come. So yeah, really looking, uh, looking forward to what's ahead, but enjoying the discussions as we work through them. Today, we're going to be speaking on the topic of praying with confidence and we're going to unpack a little bit what is prayer and and how do we pray and how do we know that God is listening and how do we trust God and and all of these things are going to be part of our discussion today I suppose a good place to start then is to really lay lay the groundwork and and answer the question what is prayer Deacon Harold? Well prayer at its very core very essence very basic level is talking to God. Basically, I mean, I mean, because think about it. You, you can't have a relationship with someone unless you talk to that person. So Mark, when you met your wife, it wasn't like, oh, here's a book. Let me read about this wonderful woman. Wow, she's fascinating. I'm going to marry her. I mean, that's not how it works, right? You actually have to have a conversation with the person to get to know the person deeply, personally, intimately. You just can't read about them in the book. You have to encounter that person, right? And it's the same thing with with relation with God. Yes, we read about God in the Bible, and that's fantastic. But ultimately, you have to still talk to him, right? Because it's that conversation, that exchange of love and life and intimacy and communion that happens in prayer, which really sets the foundation for a deep and intimate relationship with, with God. And that's what prayer helps us to do. Can prayer be a conversation just like we're having now? You hear so often that 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 prayer is this, like like the Our Father, the Hail Mary, all these prayers. It's a structured prayer or a structured devotion, whether it be the Rosary or a Chaplet or a, a Novena. So these are all forms of prayer. But if I were having a conversation just like this with God, is that possible? Like to do it this way and just have it very casual and just conversational. Well, see, the beautiful thing about it, Mark, it's both and, right? So the answer is yes to both of those. Um, You can have a formal relationship with God. So for example, when I pray the Liturgy of the Hours, which I I do every single day, um, you know, I use this book right here. Uh, It's a big, thick book, you know, uh, with all these ribbons in it, you know, uh, and, and I pray. This is the formal prayer of the church. So the, the two forms of, of, of public liturgy is the holy sacrifice of the mass and the liturgy of the hours, right? So, so when I pray this, I'm praying as, a, as an ordained minister, I'm praying on behalf of the entire church. And it's very, it's formal. You know, the, the prayers are all laid out for you, what you say, you just, you know, it, it's, it's beautiful and I love it. Um, uh, and there's also, of course, Jesus says, well, how am I, the member of the apostles say, how am I supposed to pray? He gave them the Our Father. 
right? So the Our Father is how God tells us how we're supposed to pray to him, right? So again, God tells us how he wants to be prayed to. But then there's also just the, the prayer where you just go in and just say, oh man, God, you know what? Right now, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling right now. You know, the marriage isn't going well, or, you know, I, I don't have the relationship with my kids that I want. You know, oh, my job is frustrating me right now. And, you know, I, 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 I just need to know what your will is right now, Lord. Like, what is, I don't know what to do in my life. I, should I become a priest? Should I, should I do this? Should I, Lord, what is your will? I mean, just that, just, just asking, you know, and, and sometimes it is just a conversation. Like when kids talk to God, right? They just talk to them, you know, in a beautiful childlike conversation. It's all good. It's all good. Because Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, chapter six, verse six says, I want a loving heart more than sacrifice, knowledge of my ways more than Holocaust, right? And prayer helps us to enter into that space, into that relationship uh, where we're speaking heart to heart with God. I want to congratulate you, Deacon. You don't often get people reference Habakkuk in any of these styles of discussions. It's You normally get, oh, St. Paul said this or St. John said that, but that's a really good one to, to reference. That's really good that you slipped that in there. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's, at the same time, it's so right that, that yeah, prayer is, this should be part of our life. As much as going to Mass would be part of our our weekly routine, as we discussed in the last episode, not just because we are obliged to, but because we have an opportunity to, prayer is the same thing. It's not that we have to just because we've been told to, it's that this is an opportunity. When when we have troubles in our life, we tend to want to talk through them with someone, but who better to talk through them with? Like if we if we talk through it with God, we might not get the audible answer. You know, some people might, but it doesn't mean that, that God's not there and listening and, and to, to open up our lives to God, we are allowing him then to, to live through us and to be with us and share that life with us. And I think, I suppose the point of this whole line of questioning is for me, prayer is a lot more than just a structured prayer. And I'm really glad you, you brought up the divine office because that's not something that, that only clergy and religious can pray. Now you say you're praying on, on behalf of all the faithful, but that is something that everyone can participate in. So can you actually open up for us a little bit? What exactly is the divine liturgy? We know more about what the mass is, but what, what not the divine liturgy, sorry, the divine office. What is the divine office? Yeah. So um, uh, the divine office is basically, like I said, it's the other public prayer of the church. Remember I said public sure. prayer of the church. That means you're right. Anybody can do it. It's just when I pray, when I say on behalf of the entire church, Remember, I said as an ordained minister. So one of the vows that we take as priests uh, and deacons when we're ordained is to pray the liturgy of the hours every day on behalf of the entire church. So we're praying for the church of God. We pray the liturgy of the hours. So the liturgy of the hours is basically an arrangement of the Psalms and the scriptures. Again, we talked about in uh, the, the speaking with deacon about the mass, about the Jewish roots. Of, of our liturgy. And the same thing is true uh, of the liturgy of the hours. Uh, it's heavily, heavily, I, I would say over 90% of what's in here comes from scripture. Uh, and most of it is the Psalms, right? So, so the, the Psalm or is called the Sefer Telechim in Hebrew, the, the book of sung praises. It's basically the, 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 uh, 
the hymnal, right? The liturgical hymnal of the Jewish people are the Psalms. And so that's what the Jewish people prayed. When they prayed every day, they, they prayed and they worshiped God from the Psalms. And so most of the liturgy of the hours focuses around the Psalms. And the way that it's broken up is divided into what they call matins uh, or um, the office of readings. Then they have lauds or morning prayer. Then they have what's called Latin terse, sect, or non. So uh, mid-morning uh, mid prayer, midday prayer, mid-afternoon prayer. Uh, then you have vespers, which is evening prayer, and then compline, which is night prayer. And it's broken up that way because the idea is to sanctify the day, to make the entire day holy. And so you would stop at particular times of the day and you would pray. This is something that the monks and the nuns do in monasteries as, as they pray to lead to the hours. Now, those of us who are in, in the world and not in monastic life, we pray to liturgy the hours, but obviously um, we don't have to pray all of the hours that the monks and the nuns do. Um, priests have to pray all of them, except they could do terse, sect, or none. They just have to pick one of those three, but, they, but they're obligated to pray the entire thing. Deacons only have to pray uh, lauds and vespers or morning prayer and evening prayer, although I pray the entire liturgy of the hours every day. I just, I just absolutely love it. And so just to give a, just a quick overview, so um, uh, how, the base, the basically, and there's variations to this, but basically it starts off with an invitatory prayer. So the invitatory prayer is one of the Psalms, Psalm 95, Psalm 24, Psalm 67, and Psalm 100. Uh, those are the four invitatory, and those are, those are Psalms that invite us to prayer, right? That bring us into that prayer space. Then we have a song. And then you start praying the Psalms, right? Uh, um, and then after the Psalms, in, uh, in, in morning prayer, there's a short reading, then a response, and then um, uh, the Benedictus, which is um, what uh, uh, Zachariah prayed at John the Baptist circumcision. Uh, and then there's uh, intercessions, just like at Mass. And then there's a, 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 the Our Father, and then a prayer at the end. So it's basically an extended liturgy of the word, if you will, like, like the first part of mass, except it's focusing on the Psalms and it's focusing on sanctifying each part of the day. Sure. And a lot of people, a lot of Catholic people have within their, their prayer routine, a, a morning offering. Uh, I know with our young children, we use the prayer. Good morning, dear Jesus. This day is for you. We ask that you bless all we think, say, and do. Now, I suppose looking at this, this um, liturgy of the hours, as we work through our day, we're actually restating that offering, that morning offering to God, be with us today, bless what we do. But throughout, as we go throughout each stage of the day, we're saying, we haven't forgotten that we asked you to do that. We are offering some prayer time, acknowledging that we are still offering this day for you. So it's, it's kind of just a, sure, people do the morning offering, but this is kind of the extended version, if you like. Sure. And the beautiful part is if you if you can't do the liturgy hours or you're not sure how it works, there's other ways that you can sanctify your day. You know, like for me, um, I pray the liturgy hours because it's the public prayer of the church and I love it. But I also do the rosary. Right. I have my rosary. I have, I have a ton of rosaries, but this is the one that I that I use in my every day because it's, it's heavy and uh, I like the feel of it, you know. Um, and, and so this is kind of my main rosary that I use when I'm home. 
And so I pray the rosary every day. I pray the chaplet of divine mercy. Um, and I also, the, the novena I've been doing is a surrender novena. Oh, I'm loving that, you know? And, and so it's not just about sanctifying the day. It's also, you know, being mindful of the fact that certain times of the day, I just, I just say, and sometimes I just say things like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just, you know, just to be mindful, right? When I get up in the morning, Mark, first thing I say, I mean, when the alarm goes off and I hit the alarm, first thing, Lord, thank you for allowing me to see the light of another day so that I may give honor, praise, and glory to your most holy name. Simple. But because I, right when I wake up, I want to thank God for giving me the gift of life for another day. And I want to thank, I want to be mindful of the fact that I am dedicating this day to God. You know, it's just, and so what, these little spaces for prayer are just ways, just reminders that we are always living in the presence of God. Is that prayer something you come up with yourself or something that was structured and you've just taken on board? No, no, I, I made that up myself. Um, do you, do you, you think know, it's just, yeah. Do you think there's a need for people to, even if that's not your prayer style, to actually develop their own prayers as well as the structured prayers that are given to us by the church and through the scriptures? Is there a need for people to actually own the prayer a little bit more? So it is not that the other ones are less personal because you can intend everything you're saying, but if it's in your own words, is there more ownership of, of the, the prayer? Well, here's the thing. Um, when I talk with my wife, you know, there are things that, that we talk about that are just between us. You know, there, there are certain things that a husband and wife talk about, you know, that that's not shared with anybody else. Why? Because when I stood at that altar and I gave my life to her, you know, to her, not to her friends, right? And, and, vi and vice versa, you know, so just like with God at our baptism, our confirmation, we're consecrated to God. And there are certain things that our hearts that are just for God. And so we should feel comfortable being able to speak those, speak our heart to God. If, if we can do that with our own words, that's beautiful because we're, we're speaking from our, from our lived experience. Sometimes that prayer sounds like, God, you know, um, why did my, why did my wife die of cancer? You know, I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and you were supposed to help her. You know, you, I, I read the Bible, you're the God of the living, not the God of the dead, but yet my wife died. You know, I'm mean, just as honest as that, the anger and the frustration in the moment that we're feeling where we don't feel like praying, you know, we don't feel that God is there, you know, and just to express that in our own words, in our own language, our own way, that why it's just for God, just like your conversation is just with your spouse. This conversation is just with God. And we should feel comfortable using our own ways of expressing that to him. When we do sit down and, and set time aside for prayer, it can often become just a long list of requests. I need this. Help me with that. Give me this. We want that. That's obviously something that's, that's very important. Ask and you shall receive after all. But, but what are other ways, in addition to making requests, that we can make that prayer time fruitful? And is there a, a hierarchy or an order that we should follow? For example, should the requests always come at the end after we've said prayers of praise and worship? Should the request always come as a last step within the, the hierarchical structure of a, of a prayer session so that we're putting ourselves 
last and it's it's more selfless or is is there a good way or is there a suggested way to actually approach the different things we should be covering off in a session of prayer yeah so um that typically comes up for example in, in adoration right mm -hmm. like you know there, there, there's kind of four different steps to adoration yeah which exactly you've I got an hour yeah to spend yeah so I, yeah yeah and so we you know you break that into four 15 minute segments you know, and you're doing different types of prayer each of those times. I, I mean, that a lot that works for a lot of people that I don't do that. <laughs> I just kind of just go in and just, and just either I pray my office or I pray um, the rosary or whatever. Or, and, and but most of the time I, I'll just read scripture. Or I'll just, you know, just sit there and just be quiet and listen because God knows what's in my heart. He knows what's on my heart. And, and sometimes I just want to be there just to just to get some comfort you know, um, like I said, when I make decisions, for example, um, leaving my job back in 2012, which is the same year I came to Australia, I, I left my job and then all these amazing things started to happen, the including my faith, very bro. first trip. Yeah, yeah, I, le I left my job in, in um, June 30th, 2012, 30 June 2012. And it was the year of faith, right, declared, yeah. by, declared by Pope Benedict. And that same year was when I got the my, my deal for my first book from Ignatius Press. It was the same year I went to Australia for the first time, uh, met Charbel. <laughs> I mean, so, so many amazing things happened once I trusted God enough to overcome the fear of letting go something that was keeping me uh, and, and keeping God from being able to use me the way that he wanted, you know? And once I gave God permission to do that, you know, God said, okay, here we go, you know? And it started this amazing journey um, of not only being an evangelistic voice in the church, you know, as Deacon Harold, but it's also, uh, I think, improved our, my marriage and my relationship with my kids. Um, and also my own spirituality has been deepened and strengthened through this whole process as well. Uh, and so, and that is all asking God and, and responding to the voice of God in prayer. And, and that's how those kinds of things happen. That's actually an interesting, an interesting example to raise your own leap of faith in the year of faith, because I've heard you tell that story on, on many occasions. And, and when you go through it, you actually, you hear what you hear in prayer, you feel it on your heart, but throughout that story, you then took it to other people for them to tell you, no, that's not what you're hearing. You're hearing it wrong. He wouldn't want you to do that. And, and maybe, I mean, I'm not accusing you of a lack of trusting God by any means, but, but sometimes when we hear something, it can confuse us. And so there is a need maybe to bounce that off other people. So we've had that time with God and, and maybe God's put something on our heart that he's calling us in a direction, but then we do need to take that from prayer and then bounce it off other people just to check that we've got it right. Maybe don't we? Well, the people I would bounce it off us would, would be not just anybody. Okay. Yeah, There's certain cool. people you bounce it. Now, if you're married, your spouse is number one. Yes. Yeah, I mean, these are things you need to be talking about with your spouse. Um, I think your priest, your pastor, or spiritual director is someone uh, that you should just bounce these things objectively off of. And what I did was, in addition to that, was I spoke with friends, not just any friends. The, these were men in my life that know me, that I, I, I trust with my life. I'll trust them with my kids. You know, these are guys, I, I was uh, in their wedding and they were in my wedding. You know, these, these are guys that are lifelong friends that will tell me the truth and not just what I want to hear. You see? 
They'll, they'll tell me the truth. They'll tell me actually what they think and believe, take into account knowing me and all of that. And all, when I talked to three different ones, they all said, not talking to each other before time, they all said, you should leave and, and, and take this leap of faith. You know? And, I, and they're, they're very different thinkers too, especially one, I thought for sure he's going to say, step back, reassess, reevaluate. And he said, nope, jump off. You're on the edge of that cliff, jump off. I was like, wow. You know, so so I, I tried in a sense to talk God out of it. Sure. <laughs> you know, like like Gideon, right? Remember when God called yes. Gideon? Gideon was the least, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the least of the tribes. And he was the least in the least of the tribes, right? So he goes, God, I mean, he was the last person that would ever think God would call him to do something great because he's no one, he's somebody nobody ever thought of. But God said, no, it's you. I need you because God looked at his heart. See, that's the beautiful thing. God doesn't look on the outside that so many people do. Through prayer, God speaks to us on the inside. He speaks to our hearts. People make judgments about us sometimes, Mark, because of how we look or, you know, because of how we speak or whatever it might be. God makes a judgment about us what he sees in here, inside, in our hearts. Right. And, and so and so prayer, uh, especially prayer in silence, helps us to listen to that voice of God. And then we allow that voice to change our lives. And it really can. Now, it's, this is not magic. Right. So you said, ask, and you shall receive. So it's not like, OK, ask. I want to win the lottery. I want to win the big jackpot so I don't have to work for the rest of my life. I asked for a God and you said, ask, you shall receive. Look. God's not a genie, you know, he's got, he's not going to just boom and make all our, you know, no, God does answer all of our prayers. Okay. But he answers them in a way that will draw us closer to him. And so that means sometimes the answer that we're expecting is not the answer that we'll get, right? Cause sometimes the answer is no, not yet. Right. Or the answer is wait. Or the answer is, uh, you know, yes, you know, uh, but, but, but God always hears and answers our prayer, but we have to be able to trust him enough that he will answer all of our prayers in the way that will draw us closer to him. Because some people say, well, I didn't win the lottery, so God's not real, or God didn't answer my prayer. God knows that you're not going to be very godly if you win that much money. <laughs> so that's why, you know what I'm saying? So, sure. so uh, we have, we have to understand that it's not magic. It's not, uh, like I said, it's not a genie situation. It's that God is calling us and inviting us to share his life. And everything that God does is about um, helping us to become the person who he created us to be. And that's what prayer helps us to do. Absolutely. And that that's all based in, in trust in our faith in God. And it's very much not a God grant me this or else. That, that's not a prayer. That's putting the law to the test. That 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 sort of left the realm of of um, useful prayer. Well, but... you know what, Mark? That's a good point because look what happens sometimes. Something because you know why some people leave the church. Something terrible happened in their family. You know, um, you know, my wife died or my parents was killed in a car accident by some drunk driver. God, why'd you allow that to happen? That's your fault, God. You're supposed to be a God of love. How is it loving that my wife died and left me with these kids by herself? How is it loving that my parents died in a car accident by some drunk driver 
who was arrested before and then released and now he killed my parents. If he was in jail where he belonged, that would never have happened. This is your fault, God. You know what? I'll show you. I'll stop going to mass. I'll stop. I'll get even with you and I'll stop. Right. I mean, but that in a sense, but that's like a normal human reaction. Right. I'll show you. I, but and God is God. God is a, an awesome God. He's a he's a big God. He can take it. Right. And we often don't understand why things happen. And we may never understand in this life, you know, until we get to life hereafter, because it also says in scriptures, God's ways are not our ways, you know? Um, so, we, but even when things are difficult, even when things are hard, even when we're going through something really, really trying, a, a trial in our life, we have, at, at the end of the day, we have to trust God. Right. So that's why one of the prayers that I've been praying for the last several months is the surrender novena. You know, I met with my archbishop because um, I meet with him once every year, just because of the nature of what I'm, I have an international apostle and all that kind of stuff. So he wants to make sure I'm not going nuts or something, you know. <laughs> and so at the end of our meeting last year, he gave me a copy of the surrender novena. Now, I'm, I'm familiar with a ton of different novenas, but I was not familiar with the surrender novena. And uh, at the end, of, so it's nine days, right? Novem means nine days at the nine days. And I've been praying it. So I got to day nine. I was so loving that I start on day one again. And I got to day nine and I start on day one again. So I've been praying this for months. And what I love about the surrender novena at the end, you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm doing the best that I can, but there are things that happen in my life that I have no control of. And even though I may be frustrated by what's happening in my life right now, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. That's awesome. And I've gotten so much strength from that, um, especially going through the, the COVID time, you know, where, where my, my apostolate, my ability to take care of my family uh, has been affected, where I was not able to travel. You know, I was supposed to go to Australia, New Zealand. I was so looking forward to that. And now I don't know when I'm going to be able to come back. So, you know, um, and, and that's difficult. It really is. I love you guys. You know, I love Charbel and, and, and you and the whole Perusia family, you know, and it's hard not to be able to do, you know, what I'm used to doing. But I have to, I have to trust God that in all of this, God knows what he's doing. And, and God will, and, and things happen in God's time and God's timing is always perfect. And it's a matter of us saying, and we, we can we can ask the question, why didn't this work out the way I planned, God? Why why is your plan? We can ask the question, why is your plan different? But at the same time, we've then got to sit back and let God say, let me show you. Yeah. And actually be open to his response to that question. It's not just an accusation and then hang up the phone. It's you have to then let back and, and wait for his response. Let him show you. It might take a day. It might take a year. It might take a lifetime, but that's part of the surrender. You can question. You can, I don't know if challenge is the right word, but I think you know what I'm getting at. You can, yeah. you can really question hard. Why isn't this working out the way I wanted it to or the way I felt I needed it to? But the final step is waiting for God to say, let me show you why. Let me show you how in whatever the question may be. So it all comes down to that, that word trust. So what do we say to someone who feels like they have completely lost trust in God? Like the example you used before, I'll show you, I'll stop this, I'll leave the church. And so someone who has lost that, now they feel that void and they really, really know that 
they have to do something about that, but they haven't prayed for months or years or however long. How do we help someone to take a step back in the direction of God? Yeah, so that's a great question, Mark. So what, what's happened in people's lives is that their relationship with God is like this now, right? Mm -hmm. And there's an emptiness, there's a void, there's a gap. And so the only thing that can close this gap is to be back into deep, intimate relationship with, with God, right? But because of the anger and the frustration that's going on in someone's life, they try to fill this void with pleasure, things that make them feel good, things that make them forget about God. In some cases, I know people that have gone totally the opposite direction from God. You know, I'll show, I'm so angry with God that I'll just do everything the opposite of what I know God wants me to do. So they'll start looking at porn. They'll start having affairs. They'll start doing drugs and alcohol. They'll start doing all these things that they think is going to give them some um, uh, modicum of relief. But all that does is this. Notice, it's not, this is, everything's falling in the void and this is not getting any closer. They're not feeling better. They're not drawing any more satisfaction from everything that they're doing. They, they may feel pleasure for a while, but then when that wears off, they're back to, the, to feeling this emptiness and void. The only one that could fill that, that void is God because God created that void in our hearts for him. See? And Jesus, I think, gave us the model on how to, to start those steps back. Uh, just three quick uh, anecdotes. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. And, and get get semini in Hebrew means olive press. Right. And so in order to extract the oil from the olive, you have to crush it. Right. And then when you crush that olive, uh, the oil begins to, to flow. So Jesus had to be crushed. Right. He had to be crushed like the olive so that the grace can flow into the life of the church. But remember, in God against what did he say? God, Father, if there's another way to do this. Right? I mean, he wasn't doubting God, but he was realizing they're going to beat me half to death by scourging. I'm going to be hit with a cat and nine tails, which has spikes and rocks and nails. And they're going to drive that into my skin and tear my skin apart. They're going to drive spikes through my feet and through my, it's going to hurt. Uh, I, he, he saw what was coming and he said, um, if there's another way to do this, God, like, let me know right now. You know, maybe we can work something. But, but, but he said at the end, but not what I want, Father. Not my will, but your will. That, that concept is so important. That's why he gave it to us in the Our Father. Okay? So Jesus went through this as well. The second one is on the cross. On the cross. He started praying Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the way the psalm starts off. Now, remember. Okay. Uh, Jesus is also God. So God never abandoned him and God never abandons us. But Jesus on the cross was allowed to experience in his human nature, in his humanness, the same desolation, the same isolation, the same emptiness that we've all felt when we're going through something in our life, really hard, really difficult. And we feel that God is not there. He's always there, but we feel that God is not, you can't feel God's love. You can't feel his presence because the, the pain and the anguish and the anger overwhelms. And you can't understand why this is happening. Well, what did I do wrong? What the, so you, so we start asking and we, and we start to move away from God. 
But ultimately, what we have to do is, you know, we get past that human emotion is to understand that we have to trust God. And that is extremely hard to do. I'm not minimizing that at all because these are painful experiences. But what we have to do is to show people like the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son was in the pig pen. I mean, you couldn't get any lower than where he was in his life. He was at rock bottom. And it was in that void, in that emptiness, in there with the swine that he, re that he realized, I, this is my fault. And I have to go back to the father. You know, so he, so he, he, he said, you know, I, I'm going to go back to the father. And, but, but, but making that turn, right, metanoia in Greek or shub in Hebrew means to turn your mind around, to be able to literally turn himself in that direction, start heading back toward the father. Those are some very difficult steps to take, right? It's very, because you're saying, God, I have to trust you right now. I don't understand, but I have to trust you right now. That's really hard, right? I mean, intellectually, we know what St. Thomas Aquinas says, that God does not allow something bad to happen in our life unless a greater good can come out of it. That's great in theory, but when it happens to you, you know, theory, theory goes out the window. I know what St. Thomas Aquinas said, but right now I'm not feeling it, right? And, that, and that's okay, but that's okay. But ultimately when we get past the emotion and, you know, we have to understand that we have to trust God, that God knows what he's doing. We may not understand, but we have to trust him totally, fully, and completely. I mean, God loves us to death. I mean, he, 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 he allowed his son to die to conquer us so that we can live, you know? So, so we have to remember that Jesus shows us Mary at the foot of the cross, right? Going through the pain of watching her only child. Imagine you're sitting there as a parent, you're watching your child die in front of your eyes, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? So Jesus shows us, even with the Blessed Mary, that even in the darkest hour of our lives, God's love knows no end, right? Even in the hardships of everyday life. You know, some people, Mark, watching this or listening, woke up this morning in pain. They're in pain right now as they're listening or watching. And they're going to go to bed tonight in pain. They're going to wake up tomorrow again in pain. So even every day, they're going through the same thing. Even in those hardships, God's love knows no bounds. And even in suffering and death, God's love holds nothing back. So the key, I would say, Jesus, you know, just say to yourself, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I give my life to you. Right. As, as, as something very simple as that. That's how I got through it when I was going through something really hard, Mark. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I give my life to you. And then I, I, I not, it didn't just become words. I actually I actually started meeting it, you know, and, and it's then and, and look at what happened with Mary and understanding the meaning of Christ's passion, um, uh, his death and resurrection, and how he calls us to enter into that. And he's there with us in that pain. He's there with us in that emptiness and in the, in, in the fact that he never leaves us alone. He's always with us. There is so much to unpack from what you just said there with your, the examples you gave and, and just the little bit of unpacking that you did. We could, we could do a whole series of podcasts just on that content alone. But, but one thing I want to pick up on is you mentioned our lady and her suffering that she went through and, 
it, it raises a question that that sometimes, well, quite often we get from Protestants, and it and it relates to intercessory prayer. So we pray to Our Lady, we pray to the saints, and their argument is, why would you pray to them when you can pray directly to Jesus? So can you paint a picture of where intercessory prayer through our Blessed Mother and all the saints can fit into this conversation with God directly? Sure. I like to think of it like this. If your daughter were sick, Mark, and you said, Deacon, please pray for my daughter. What I say to you, Mark, why are you asking me to pray? You just pray to Jesus. You don't need me. Just pray straight to Jesus. There's only one intermediary between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. Pray to him. Don't ask me to pray for your daughter. What Would I say that to you? No, I mean, I mean, we, we, we ask people to pray for us all the time. That's what intercessory, all intercessory prayer is. We're asking people, it's by multiplying the power of prayer. The more people that are praying for us, right, uh, uh, the more powerful we believe those prayers are. And, and so that we're just, we're asking, again, we're part, all part of the body of Christ, the church militant here on earth. And, and so the, the saints in heaven, right? The church triumphant. Remember, they are where we hope to be one day. Remember, we're pilgrims on this earth. Our, our goal is not to stay here. Our goal is to get to heaven, right? And so if we're in heaven, are we alive or dead, Mark, when we're in heaven? We're alive. Yeah, because Jesus says, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living, right? Yeah. So we're alive in heaven. So if the saints in heaven are alive because they're standing before the face of God, in a sense, they're more alive than we are because they're in the presence of God. Why wouldn't we ask them to pray for us? Just like you would ask me to pray for your daughter, why wouldn't we ask those saints who are before God in heaven to also pray for us? We're all part of the church, the church, the church militant, the church suffering of purgatory, and the church triumphant in heaven. Why wouldn't we ask them to pray for us? So yes, we're praying through them to Jesus. Sure. Right. Just like, see, so when you ask me to pray for your daughter, I'm going to pray to Jesus. Right. Um, and so you're I'm interceding for you to Jesus. Right. And so all the saints are interceding on our behalf to Jesus. And we've seen that in the scriptures. Remember, was it Abraham? Um, God was going to destroy the city. Um uh, Gomorrah and, 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 and uh, uh, I think it was Sodom actually. And, 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 um, Abraham said, what if there's only like, uh, 20 good people in that town? Would, would you, would you level it for, for 20? Uh, okay. If there's 20 people in there, okay, maybe I'll spare it. Uh, uh I, I don't want to push this Lord. Up. What if there's only like 10 people in there? Would you, you see how he bargained with God? He's interceding on our behalf, right? He's interceding on behalf of the people to God. Right, that's what the prophets is. That, that's what the leaders they interceded, and and we're we're doing the same thing. That it's very biblical intercessory prayer. Again, with the focus being on it's we're praying to Jesus through uh, the the ones that we love through the members of our of our family. That's the key. It, it is intercessory. We're not saying, Our Lady, please grant me this job that I need so I can support my family. We're not saying. St. Joseph, please heal my wife. We're actually saying, please pray that our Lord can do this. Please take this to him. Please 
represent us, pray along with us and, you know, safety in numbers, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we have to be careful with our language as Catholics. So sometimes we take it for granted, right? Like for example, during last year, it was the year of, of uh, St. Joseph, right? And then Father Calloway, a uh, great book, Consecration of St. Joseph, right? But it was Consecration of St. Joseph. So a Protestant might say, well, why are you consecrating yourself to Joseph? Well, what, what we mean by that, we're consecrating ourselves to Jesus through Joseph. Sure. But the way we say it, because that's our nomenclature as Catholics, consecration to Joseph. But what we mean by that, how we understand that is, we're consecrating ourselves to Jesus through Joseph or through Mary or through St. Anselm or through St. Ignatius or whatever, you know, whichever one is, but it's always directed to Jesus. Remember Mary's very last words in scripture, do whatever he tells you, right? Do whatever he, he, she was interceding on behalf of that married couple who ran out of wine. And so she said, do whatever he tells you. So yeah, we, we, we trust in God. We, we have all of our support network around us, all working with us, interceding for us, for whatever the prayer intention may be. So it's actually a, it's a beautiful picture to paint that we're not battling by ourselves. We are trusting in God and we have this massive family around us all barracking for us. It's, it's a fantastic, um, it's a fantastic way to, to picture it and, and to, to present that to the people who might have that argument. We're not asking them to fix it. We're asking them to pray with us that our Lord grant us our request. So yeah, beautiful. Um, Speaking about family and, and praying along with people, what, how do we approach a scenario where we have one very unique prayer style? I suppose you don't need to say very unique, just unique in and of itself is enough. We have our own unique prayer style. And maybe our spouse, just for the sake of the example, has a very different prayer style. When it comes, obviously praying together as, as husband and wife is so powerful how do you do that when prayer styles are so different? Yeah, that, that was certainly something my wife and I <laughs> had to deal with because remember I was a monk. And so yes. I love formal structured prayer. I just show you the book, the liturgy of the hours with the yes. big thick book with the ribbons and incense. I love that, you know, very formal structured prayer because that's the way I'm oriented, right? That's, that's the way I think very ordered. My wife likes very extemporaneous prayer. Just, oh, just let the Lord fall, the Holy Spirit fall on my heart, you know, as I walk through the woods or as she was skiing, she went skiing the other day when I was uh, away uh, speaking, you know, and she went skiing and she was praying while she was skiing. I mean, I would never pray. First of all, I would never ski, but I would never, I mean, so, so that those are two very different ways of approaching. So, so how do we reconcile that in our own marriage? So we keep it really simple. So, so every morning when, when we get up, uh, I say my prayer, right? Lord, thank you for allowing me to see the light of another day. So I may give honor, praise, and glory to your most holy name. And then I'll, I'll, I'll grab my wife. I'll say, Lord, I thank you for the gift of my wife. I thank you for our, our marriage, for our beautiful children. Lord, help me to be the husband and the father that I need to be for them today. All right. And she says something back to me and we get out and I get out of bed. You know, how long did that take? Right. Yeah. 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Look, there's 168 hours in a week. And so you can't tell me there's no time to pray with your spouse. 
We make excuses why we don't pray with our spouses, right? That's what they come down to is excuses. And, and yes, I know some spouses that are one end of the spectrum where they pray the rosary together. I know spouses that pray the liturgy of the hours together, the divine office together. And I know spouses on the other end that don't do anything spiritual together. They'll just go up, they'll just go up and show to church, show up at church, and they won't even talk to each other or anything. You know, just go to mass because they kind of have to, because they need this people, they need people need to see them there, you know, but really they don't they don't take anything from the mass into their into their marriage, into their home afterward. You know, so so what we have to do is is create that space. Because remember. God, when we got married, we asked God to be the heart and the center of our married life. And the way that God remains the heart and center of our married life is by having a prayer life together with your spouse. That is extremely important. Again, that's going to look different, right? For different spouses and your different temperaments. But you have, even if you just pray in our father together or a hail Mary together, you start there, you know, and you just find that time and find that space to be with God together. Because remember, this, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one. So Jesus says in Matthew 19, you are no longer two, but one. He, he See, Jesus emphasized that verse. Right? He quotes it. He quotes Genesis 2. Then he emphasized that one point, you are no longer two, but one. So if you're one, you have to pray to God as one. Yes, you have your own individual prayers, but you still have to come together as one as a married couple, but you are one and, and, and offer that to God as well in, in your married life. That's very important. And then also we, we take it down to the, the level of community prayer and the next layer of, of, of community would be um, husband, wife and their children and, and prayer in the family. Now we did touch a little bit on that in our previous episode on, on family life, but it's very challenging sometimes to get them to sit down and to get them to listen when you've got when you're you're working with really young children, and obviously, hopefully, as they grow older, they that that challenge dissipates just a little bit. But it can be a challenge for for prayer and family time. But but the reward, I suppose, if 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 you're looking to not necessarily just to get the reward out of it, but there is a reward in it for making the effort, isn't there? To actually work at something that is difficult and to present us as a family unit to God and and share with Him our life and our our daily experiences and, and, and worship him as a family. There's such power in that. And then beyond that, in, in a wider community as well, isn't there? Well, that, that's critically important because if we don't do that, we don't become what St. John Paul II uh, called the domestic church, the church of the home. What will happen is our kids will go off to Catholic school and learn stuff about Jesus. That's the head knowledge. Then they need to come home to see how all this stuff they're learning about Jesus is lived out. And the first place where they see that being lived out is in the home. So they have to see the parents praying together. Okay, so all this stuff about Jesus, how does this look like in my family? Right? The first society is the family. And so when parents not just pray meal press, bless the Lord, these thy gifts, but when they see the parents praying together, where, where prayer is kind of the ethos of the family. It's not, it's not a monastery, okay? <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, you're doing meal prayers. You're doing, you know, uh, blessing the kids before they go to bed, before you go on a trip, you know, you know, before the family leaves. Lord, just want to thank you and keep us safe on this trip. You know, we want to offer all this to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Something simple like that. Or doing a rosary with your kids. Okay. So what do you do if you have really small kids? Here's what we did. Um. You know, we, we 
uh, well, because the kids have to learn their prayers anyway. Right? The basics, our father, hail Mary, glory be to the father, angel of God, right? Those are the four basics. I remember my mom teaching us those prayers to this day. I remember her kneel us kneeling down and repeating after my mom, our father, hail Mary, glory be to the father, angel of God. Um, and so in, in our family life, we did with the kids, you know, they're not going to sit there for, it's going to be almost impossible to sit there for a whole rosary. That the kids just don't have that kind of attention span. So we do one decade a night, right? So like Monday through Friday, the five joyful mysteries. So the Annunciation, the Visitation, Nativity, um, the, the uh, Presentation of Temple and the Finding of Jesus, you know? Uh, so we, we, we take Monday and we just do a decade. And so we, and then we would lead it. And then we, as the kids got older, they would allow them to lead it. You know, you say to our father, they say, Hail Mary, because they have to learn them anyway. Right. So we're killing two birds with one stone. We're teaching them their prayers and we're teaching about the rosary at an appropriate age, appropriate level, you know, uh, so that they're being introduced to the mysteries, um, but not all at once. So then, the, you know, we break the rosary down. It kind of makes makes sense. And then they get comfortable. They, you know, OK, this is what we do as a family. You know, it only takes a few minutes. This is what we do as our family. This is part of our of who we are as a family, you know, and, they, and, they, and that's what they get used to, just like they get used to brushing their teeth before they go to bed. You know, if they don't learn that, they'll never brush their teeth. Saying if we don't teach them to pray, they'll never become young men and women of prayer. And they first learn that in the home. So that's so important. I suppose to summarize everything we've spoken about so far today, to be able to pray with confidence is to be able to trust God. To be able to trust God, you have to be in a relationship with God. To be in a relationship with God you need to be in regular communication, not just checking in once a week or whatever. You need to be in regular communication. We need to be praying all the time throughout the day, not just once a day, once a week, but all the time. That is the regular channel of communication. And then when we're regularly communicating with God, we can know him and develop that trust in him to know that what we ask him, he will answer. Whether it's the answer we expected, or whether it's something completely different and something that it might take us a long time to unpack why it didn't go the way we expected, we still trust that he has answered our prayer and that the only prayer he's not going to answer is the one that we don't pray. Have I, have I summarized that? And if I haven't, we're going to have to go right back to the start. So how did I go? <laughs> no, that, that's a great summary, Mark. It really is. And I think the bottom line for me is this, the, the real cross of prayer is to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of every single situation in our lives. That's what it comes down to. That no matter what is going on, the, the, the cross of prayer, right? The cross of prayer is to truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of every single situation in our lives. And how we respond um, to, to, to what God is doing in our lives uh, reflects our trust in his love, right? So, so I, and I think you summarized that beautifully. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Deacon, once again, for your time and your, your wisdom on, on the topic of prayer. I, I pray that a lot of people can really take something away from this and, and apply it to their own lives. And to, to really, if, if they're in a meaningful prayer life, find something in there to, to enrich it further. And if they're struggling with prayer, 
find something in what we've discussed today to, to at least take a step back in the direction of, of making prayer something more meaningful and, and, and opening that line of conversation with God again so that we can trust him with everything we have. So, so thank you, Deacon, once again, for your wisdom on this topic. And, and for anyone that, that wants to, to delve a little bit more into this or any other topic that we talk about on this particular series within the Parisia podcast, Deacon Harold has got one of these little flash USB devices. It's a flash drive. And this device contains, I think at this point, 22 audio, audio presentations. So talks that you've given around the place that have been recorded. Um, the praying with confidence that we've discussed today, there is an audio presentation themed around that topic as well. And so it's got 22 audio presentations on one device. So in years gone by, these have all been available in CD format. And you can all obviously download an MP3, but it's harder to play CDs with technology these days. There are fewer devices that you can play a CD on. And a lot of people don't have the, the technical nous to be able to log in or download or don't even want to be in that particular digital world at all. And they'd rather something physical. So, so this device is, is the answer to that. It's all... 22 audio presentations that, that we have produced with you, Deacon, all on one device. And, and that device is available from the store page on Deacon Harold's website at deaconharold.com and just click on the store page. And you can also get it at the Perusia store page, which is at perusiamedia.com. And once again, just click on the store and you can navigate to Deacon Harold's range and find that device. It's a, it's a fantastic collection of everything audio that Deacon Harold has put out with us at Perusia. So I, I strongly encourage you to grab hold of one of those. And, and Deacon, when you do events now as well, when you're back on the road, I believe that's quite a popular item on the on the resource table after the talks as well, isn't it? Uh, that That is definitely that and the, and the, uh, the booklet on the mass are the, are the two that they're the best selling. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I do highly recommend you to, to head to, to one of those websites, depending where you are around the world, and, and check that out and, and get yourself a copy of that and, and maybe even buy some of those to share with some loved ones. The, the price is a discounted price based on what it would cost you to buy all of those talks as individual CDs. You're getting a substantial saving by getting it on one device. And the beauty of that as well is we didn't make that just a device with enough space to hold the content we wanted to put on it. We've actually made it a device where you've, after all of that content we've put on there for you, you still, I think it's about eight gigabyte worth of free, could, could even be more than that, could be 10 gigabyte worth of free space on there. So this particular one is designed, and I'll show you here, it's designed as a key ring. So you can actually put it on your, your keys. It's got a USB and a USB type C input. So it's, it's fairly um, accessible to people. And with, with this particular device, all of this extra space means you've got all the audio content to take with you, play it whenever you need that little bit of encouragement from Deacon Harold, put it in and listen to one of his talks. But it's also something practical for you to use in your day-to-day -day for your files, for whatever you're doing, the space to actually use, which is in addition to the space. We, and we intentionally left that space just so that there's that much more uh, use for this device in addition to the fantastic content on there. It's something that you, you can carry with you as well. So, so check that out. It's the, the Deacon Harold Burke Sivers Audio Talks Bulk Pack on available on deaconharold.com and also perusiamedia.com store pages. So that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to having you with us next time. Thank you very much, Deacon Harold, once again. Thank you, Mark. And we look forward to your company next time on Speaking with Deacon. 
My name is Mark Griffin. Thanks for joining us. God bless.